Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Visualize You Show. Now today, this is my first guest interview in season two. I am so excited to bring you lots more interviews this season. And I'm kicking off this guest interview with Andrea Johnson. Now, Andrea is an optimism expert. We met last year as we were starting our podcast at exactly the same time. Andrea is a professional encourager, coach and speaker, and she helps women find their community and freedom. She's dedicated to helping others to authentically grow through her six tenets of intentional optimism. And I really think you're going to absolutely love today's episode. Now, whenever my interviews go over 50 minutes, I like to break them down into two parts. So we're kicking off today with part one. And in this interview, I talked to Andrea about her early childhood years living in South Korea and how that gave her a real global view on how to empathize and connect with others and other faiths and cultures from all over the world. We talk about what it means to be an intentional optimist and to understand who we are and our core values and beliefs. We also talk about the difference between intentional optimism and that buzzword that seems to be going around right now called toxic positivity and why we really need to acknowledge both the lightness and the darkness and all of our shadow sides, the good and the bad, whenever we are doing work on ourselves. I talked to Andrea about her recent pivot to start her own business and to follow her own soul's calling when she no longer felt she was making the impact she wanted to make in the world via her corporate nine to five. And when those whispers just started to get stronger and stronger. I really hope you enjoy this episode and don't forget to check back for part two of the interview. Welcome to the Visualize You podcast. I'm your host, Beth Hewitt. I'm a spiritual performance coach, helping you go from unfulfilled to passionately living your purpose. You'll learn how to create a crystal clear vision for your life so that you can change direction with confidence and have a career or start a business that is more in alignment with your true soul's calling. Each week on the show, I'll talk about topics such as the art of visualization, scripting, manifesting, and the law of attraction. And I'll bring you interviews with inspirational people who have taken that path already so you can learn the practical skills that will help you do the same. Hi, okay, welcome to another edition of the Visualize You Show. We're into season two and I'm so excited to have Andrea Johnson joining us today. Hi, Andrea. Hello, my friend. How are you today? I am really good. I'm really like upbeat today. I think the sun is still shining. It's September and <laughs> we don't always have sun this time of year. So I'm really enjoying the sun. Here's happens. the weird thing. It's hazy here. Oh, <laughs> where about Virginia. you? In Virginia. I'm in Virginia. I'm near Charlottesville, Virginia, which is where the University of Virginia is. And so I'm just about 90 miles south of DC and 90 miles west of Richmond. So uh-huh. right by the beautiful Shenandoah Mountains. Sounds beautiful. There are no mountains where I am at all. Mm. They do sound delicious. (laughs) They're pretty. Oh, so I normally just kick off the show, just let our listeners know all about you. But as I was, we've known each other for a while, if just some context. Mm -hmm. So we met probably just over a year ago now, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? When we both started a podcast at the same time. So I feel like I know various parts of your life journey. So there were various points I was interested in. So one of them was around you living in Korea as a child. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. And how it must have had an impact on you. Having that global worldview must have had an impact. It did. And what's interesting is for the longest time, I tried to suppress that. Uh I... I look back now, and so part of my growth journey is that I've been able to embrace that worldview better. And I grew up, my parents were missionaries. So I am a woman of Christian faith and married a pastor. So (laughs) to stay in that, in that genre, but we went there when I was in second grade, finishing up second grade, went to an international school. There's quite an expatriate community in South Korea. Mm -hmm. And just for reference, speaking to a global community, most people know that when you say Korea, you usually mean South Korea, but in the United States, a lot of times people don't understand that. I found early on that being an international third culture kid was so different that it really caused tension. And so like I came, we would come home for furlough every three to four years. And we came home for my sixth grade year. And I remember hearing, oh, here comes Miss Korea this and Miss Korea that. And I thought, wow, oh, I should stop talking. <laughs> and so the more I tried to fit in, the more I just tamped that down. But as I matured and grew and started looking at who I'm trying to become or who I am becoming, I realized it had even more impact on me than I realized. It was the community, the Korean people are extremely open and welcoming. Their culture is one of education, which when you Mm -hmm. get into my career story, it's, oh yeah, that totally makes sense because it was in all higher education. And they are very... um, they're friendly by nature. And I think that's part of where I get some of that. The community, the expatriate community there was amazing. Uh, But I also grew up seeing different things. I didn't grow up in one little corner where I only saw one type of religion or one type of demographic or one type of culture. I grew up in a school with kids from 65 different countries. So I'm dating myself a little bit, but we had Iranian kids during the Iran long time ago. And the late seventies, early eighties, when, when they kidnapped the people from the American embassy, they were just, you learned how to deal with conflict while still being friends with people Mm -hmm. and um, looking past certain differences in order to come together. And I think that's a little bit of what shaped me into who I am today. I think that's really powerful. And I think today there's more multicultural aspects to everyday life and we are more open to those experiences and differences and cultures and people and religions but I Mm. think maybe back then it wasn't and I think that's really special that you have that and it's I I will tell you I'm the intentional optimist I'm all about but realistic optimism but I will tell you there are big pockets in the United States that do not understand Mm -hmm. diversity of culture do not understand yes Mm -hmm. and and just there are blessings and curses to being just this humongous country. (laughs) And so that's a little bit of what we're working through here in the States is helping everybody get to that place. And not everybody's, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard work when you're not used to doing that. But I think overall, because of social media and the internet, we have become much more globally minded. So tell us, tell our listeners, who is Andrew Johnson? What, who is the intentional optimist? What does that all mean? Oh, the intentional optimist is I was looking for a name for a business and I really wanted to do something along the lines of sanguine with the old sanguine, phlegmatic, choleric uh, personality types, because 
I think we all have a challenge sometimes in our lives to be that positive, Mm -hmm. sunny, to be that optimistic and to see the bright side of things. And I didn't understand how I could actually do that when I was growing up. I didn't, there's a part of me that's very natural. It comes naturally. But like I said, I suppressed much of that. But my career journey through higher education, it was like I fell into it. I had no intention of working for Atlantic Ivy League schools and that kind of thing. But becoming the intentional optimist was a very concerted effort to understand who I really want to be. And when you talk about, you're really good at talk about pivot, talking about pivot moments. Mm -hmm. And when I decided I don't want to continue on this path that I'm on because I'm miserable or I don't see myself there in 10 years, that's when I just said, all right, what is it? And I just went back and re-examined, did that hard work. What do I believe? What have I been taught? Do I still espouse to these things? Do I still espouse the theological and doctrinal things that I've been taught, the cultural things, the political things that I've been taught, all those. And when I went to look back at them and figure them all out, I came out with this almost philosophical statement of this is who I am. And there are six tenets of intentional optimism, and they're based on Proverbs chapter 31. But when I did that, I said, then what do I do with these? (laughs) And I said, oh, I want other people to learn how to be themselves authentically and to grow as well. Mm -hmm. And especially women have a real heart for women. And so that's the impetus behind what I do and what the intentional optimist is. I love all of that. We could talk about the the tenants as well. Cause I think I feel very much the same. Like I've always been, well, actually when I was little, I wasn't super positive I always had a bit of a glum face on when I was little but I do feel now like my default button is positivity but at the same time I have this kind of and you may come across this a little bit in the work that you do is that there's a lot about toxic positivity and actually not allowing ourselves to feel all the feels and when we're going through those tough times we still have to go through all of that we can't just be super positive and then suppress what is actually going on underneath so do you come across that as part of the work that you're doing are you hearing more about toxic positivity I do Mm -hmm. and I want to make it very clear that intentional optimism yeah with that intentionality behind it is to see all of the sides and when you start delving into what the tenets actually are you realize that without seeing the dark, the light doesn't mean as much when you don't see the dark. The good doesn't mean as much when you don't see the things that are hard. And if you're not willing to work through them, you can't get to the good place and to where you want to be. And those things always hold you back. Putting your head in the sand is never a solution. And that's what toxic positivity is to me. Mm -hmm. To always look for the bright side, that's not a bad trait. To be a half full person, that's not a bad trait. Those are all good traits. But in order to do that, you have to be able to be willing to see the things that aren't great because you can't grow without seeing the things that you need to grow in. Yesterday, (laughs) the sermon it was, when somebody gives you a, oh gosh, he was just, he was making a good point about the fact that there are times that we have to admit that there's something that we need work on in order to accept certain gifts. (laughs) He said, if somebody gives you a gift of mouthwash, In order for you to be able to say, I know it's like people in order to be able to say sincere, thank thank you you for that. You have to admit the fact that you need help with your breath. Uh And so in order to grow, you have to be willing to see the places where you must grow. And in the 
toxic positive world, you're not seeing anything. You're pretending. It's like putting one of those Instagram filters or Snapchat filters on and only seeing the really yeah, spectacular abundance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm just hearing more and more about it. So I just wondered what other coaches who have got more of a, you know, optimistic, positive outlook in the work that they do deal with that and, and those things that come up. Okay. So if you, do you want to talk about the, the six tenets? Absolutely. Your- so really quick, the background of them is, like I said, they're based on Proverbs chapter 31. So I am a woman of Christian faith, but when I teach, it's that's just who I am, but that's not necessarily, I don't necessarily teach a Bible study. That's not where I go. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And my mother was an amazing woman. She was one of those that was like a bottle of champagne. She would walk into a room and the bubbles would just like, oh, Judy's here. And everybody loved her. And when she retired, my dad gave her a Hebrew calligraphy, beautiful framed um, calligraphy of the Proverbs 31 passage, talking from King Lemuel's mother to him, telling him how to find an amazing woman. And I was like, and it was calligraphy to hand by this rabbi in Jerusalem. And when we lost her in 2017 to breast cancer, that was the impetus that really got me thinking about what do I want to be? Like mm-hmm. life is short. I see now that she is gone and I am the next oldest. <laughs> and, and so how do I want to look at this? And moving my dad, especially out of his, the house and into an apartment, I looked at that thing. I thought, I have always thought I understood that. What is it? So I went back and read it and I realized she is not this demure. I come from the South, right? From the mm-hmm. U.S. South. And, um, evangelical culture. She's not this demure woman who follows people around and and has homeschools or children in cans. She is this amazing businesswoman. She buys a field. She plants the grapes. She grows the vines and then she sells the wine. She is a land developer. She's a fashion designer and um, a maker of purple cloth, which back in those times was meant you were rich. Mm-hmm. And she was a philanthropist. Her husband's name was well-known because of her. And so she was almost just short of being an independent woman of means and really strong and a leader. And it was just I like had new eyes to see her and I thought, oh, that's okay. This is okay for me. This is what I want. This is what I can do. And so when I started looking at all the personal growth that I had done from starting at about 21, because part of my personal story is bulimia and depression. And so my very first personal growth tools that I got was through an inpatient, 12 week inpatient program. And I didn't have any psychological tools. When you have tools in your tool belt, you can actually handle life better. So I took all of those personal growth and leadership tools and I sat down and I said, I just started writing out, what do I believe? And then they just got grouped into different things, different categories. And then they just kind of floated themselves out to about six main things Mm -hmm. with some subcategories. And I talk about it like going into a crucible and coming out with a gem. And when you put coal under extreme heat and pressure, you come out with a diamond and it might be an emerald for some people or whatever, but either way, I, growing up in Korea, we did spend time on the West coast, on the yellow sea every summer at this beautiful beach. And that is the culture and the community that I long to recreate for the women that I work with. And quite frankly, anybody that I'm around and for myself, and it was just one of inclusion and welcoming, and we could try anything and do anything. And so all of those things coming together helped me figure out how to explain the tenets of intentional optimism as a sailboat. I grew up sailing. 
So we were poor missionaries, but we still had a little sunfish sailboat, a little 14 footer. So I describe it as optimistic as your first tenant and it is your hull. It's the boat. If you want to get from Island A to Island B, the best way to do it is in some kind of vessel. <laughs> so that's, you're deciding to be, to, to change it, to move forward. And it doesn't necessarily mean seeing things just sunny. It just means I've decided to move forward, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the, I see things could be better. And it includes things like hope and positivity and being proactive about things, but that's your hull. Then the next piece is present, which is your centerboard. And if you know anything about boats, you've got to have something going down into the water to keep you from falling over. (laughs) So it keeps you grounded. It keeps you vertical. It's having this sense of wonder and a generosity and a kindness and an openness. The third tenant is energetic which is your sale. And we don't kid ourselves. We create some of our own energy, but a lot of times just having the sale in the right place to capture the opportunities, the wind that comes through. And that also shows why it's so important to have a good centerboard because that's what balances you. When the wind blows really hard, you got to be present, right? Uh So that's your third tenant. And energetic includes things like being industrious, right? I I talked about that woman who she was the the land developer. She always had something in the works, but just actually having energy and joy and being life-focused, that's all part of being energetic. The fourth one is courageous. And this is your rigging on a sailboat. If you don't have ropes that tie your sail down or that pull it in, you've got to be able to let it out sometimes and tighten it up sometimes. And that takes a lot of courage. Letting go of things can be harder than holding them tightly. And sometimes you need to do that. And if you get a lot of wind coming through your sail, if you're not ready to go fast, then you have to let out. And but Mm -hmm. if you're ready to go, you can tighten it up and it all tips and people lean out over the side and just fly. That's where the courage comes in. Oh, I just got cold chills. That's when you know you've got something good when it excites you. But that's the leadership aspect of intentional optimism is the adventure and resilience, all that encourages. The fifth one is wise. And this is your rudder or on a bigger boat, your wheel, right? Where this keeps you going in the direction you want to go. This includes things like understanding the world as it is. This is part of seeing both the good and the bad and understanding you and understanding others. It has to do with the words we speak so important. You know that as a visualizer, it's not just what you think, it's what you speak. Those are Mm -hmm. really important. Those words, they help, heal, harm, destroy, all of it. And then having respect, that makes us a wise person. All of a sudden you respect people and then it just is so much more wise in the way you respond. But then pulling it all together is intentionality. And this has to do with a sense of purpose, your why. It has to do with planning and being on a trajectory of growth. And if you don't have intentionality, that lovely boat with all of its great pieces and parts, it's never going to get in the water. And that's where a boat needs to be in order Mm -hmm. to actually do what a boat's supposed to do. It's not supposed to sit on the sand. It's supposed to be in the water or at the dock. It's supposed to be in the water, moving you from one place to another. So that's intentional optimism. Hi, listener. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I thought we'd just pause a moment to let you know that there is so much waiting for you at my website, bethhewitt.com, where you can access free downloads, access the Visualize You free Facebook community where I go live every single week. Plus, you can learn about the power of scripting, 
access the visualization vault and find out more about my membership visualize and thrive so go check it out and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast head to bethhewitt.com and i can't wait to connect with you real soon now let's get on with the show I, I love all of that. I was letting you say all of that because I didn't want to interject at various points when you're trying to outline all those six. I love the boat analogy. I've used it myself and, and often with visualizations, so I'll often say visualization is about having, you know, that map of where you're going mm. in your boat and the compass and where you're heading and all of that. There's a few different aspects I suppose I want to go back to. So you started your story talking about this beautiful, what would you call it? Like, in, was it in calligraphy? This picture. Oh, yes, that, yes. Um, it's all right. in Hebrew and it's just gorgeous. It's gilded and all kinds of stuff. So I think, I don't know if I was listening to, is it Dr. D's social network podcast where you were talking about, I think your, your mum as having all of these skills and experiences and powerful and capable of doing so much. And when she came back, she didn't necessarily mm. do all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think as you were talking then, that self-awareness that you've had, I think throughout all of your life, you know, from being little in South Korea, from understanding your mum and how she showed up in the world, whether that mm. no, no negativity there, just that that was no. how it was. Yeah. <laughs> but your self-awareness of that and going, actually, no, I want to do this differently. I mm. want to show women what they're capable of. Mm. I think you've got so much self-awareness that I totally admire. Thank you. In you. And I just love the boating analogy. Um, I think there's a lot of self-awareness there as, as well around when you were saying pulling the, and I'm not a boater, so tell me, <laughs> pulling it stronger. The like, rigging. Mm-hmm. The rigging. Right. Again, you need to know where you are. You need to know what the conditions are. You need to know what you're working with. You need to know what you're trying yep. to achieve. And again, that comes back to that self-awareness. I just got chilled then. And you've tapped into (laughs) the nuances of it all. It's Uh not like you're just on this calm lake with no wind. It's you're probably in the ocean. And I do talk about going from island A to island B Mm -hmm. because we are not guaranteed calm seas. We are never guaranteed that just because we put our boat in the water, it's never going to tip over. Mm -hmm. We have to have that understanding of the currents. This is all part of wisdom too. And you have to understand where the currents are going, because if you're not taking advantage of the wind, you don't have a motor on this boat. So if you don't take advantage of the wind and understand how sometimes your sail needs to be at a 90 degree angle to your boat, or it needs to be at a 45 in order to get you where you want to go. It's Mm -hmm. not just like driving a car, right? This is much more of an understanding of what's going on around you, the wind, the currents, the waves. And when we can do that and fully sit in what those things are, then that it just is amazing the amount of power that it gives you to say, oh, I want to go over there. So this needs to tweak here and this needs to tweak here. And I'm going to head in that direction. I think it's a brilliant analogy. And I love all aspects of that. <laughs> so let's get back to the pivoting. You're going through a pivot right now. I know. know the business. So we can talk about that. Has there been other pivots along the journey that you want to share with our listeners today? The biggest career pivot, we all have life pivots, Mm -hmm. right? Like I said, I was in the hospital for bulimia and depression. I ended up with gastric bypass surgery, which was a huge pivot for me when my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer and I was morbidly obese. And then I found out I was infertile. So the pivot of adopting, but Mm -hmm. career-wise, the biggest pivot was her last year 
And when she started going into hospice and every time, if you live with a cancer patient, you know, that every time they get a PET scan or every time they get an MRI, you never, you're always waiting with bated breath to see what's going to show up. Mm -hmm. And so you never know. And that process of watching the way I responded to her insecurity of future. And I don't mean that she was insecure. I just, that it's unsure, but also watching her faith and her confidence in where she believed she was going eternally and her ability to say, I'm not interested in leaving this planet anytime soon. (laughs) I don't want to do that, but Mm -hmm. if I have to, I'm ready. Watching that process, if you've ever watched someone go through that kind of transition, it will change you. I'm not saying that death is beautiful because I was there and I'm not going to say that, but but the transition process and the way we handle it can be very beautiful, especially Mm -hmm. when you talk about self-awareness. But watching that and then saying, okay, now what in February of 2017 was the biggest pivot for me. I spent my entire career and never planned this almost my entire career in higher education. And I started off working in college for a professor. And then I met my husband in grad school at seminary and ended up working there. And it just never occurred to me that I would do that. When we moved to Baltimore, for my husband to pastor a church, we thought maybe I could do my own thing. And so I was like a Mary Kay person. I wanted to be an entrepreneur from the beginning, but I just had to discover how, and I was not self-aware enough to do it at the time. It just wasn't time. Yeah. And so a friend offered me an opportunity in the Johns Hopkins uh, School of Medicine Cancer Center. And sure, I can do administrative assistant work. And I, I started there, ended up moving into research administration and grants administration, working with budgets and regulation and all that kind of stuff. And, and then moving into the university of Virginia, where I moved further into research administration and operations and leadership. And it never occurred to me to do that career path. There are things I loved about it and things I really didn't love about it, but we all have that in any kind of work that we do. Even Mm -hmm. my business. Now there are things it's okay. I have to do this, or I I need to do this in order to make my business succeed. But the biggest pivot was realizing if I look down the road, I see in this particular career, I don't see myself going much higher. I don't see myself achieving the things I want to achieve. I don't see myself impacting many people. And I would tell myself, if I put this grant through and we can do a clinical trial and save people's lives, that impacts people but I need to touch them. I need to see them. And I'm not a clinical person. I learned that way early on when I was a nursing major and realized I couldn't give somebody a shot. So that was no more. (laughs) And (laughs) I couldn't do that either. No. And so that was the biggest, biggest revelation for me to say, all right, what do I love and how can I move forward? I did the, what color is your parachute? Those kinds of things and realized I needed to be in a more relational kind of work. And so that's when I moved into more of a um, supervisory role, which can be relational. But when you're supervising people, it's not all coaching. It's not all encouraging. I'm very carrot versus stick oriented. Mm-hmm. I'm an optimist, right? So <laughs> I prefer, and but you can't, can't always carrot. do that. When you, have, when you supervise people, you have to have hard conversations. So I learned much through all of that. The biggest pivot was just realizing, all right, the piece I love is helping people grow. And so how do I do that? Mm-hmm. And I look is coaching really a thing. Is that really a job? And so I just had to really look at it and then figure out who, what do I believe and how am I going to do this? And then I realized, okay, it's not just coaching, it's speaking. And so I speak and I teach and 
that's why when the podcast opportunity came along, I said, oh, why did I never think of that? Obvious, yeah. (laughs) Right. It's totally obvious. I I hope that answered your question, but that was the biggest pivot. It does. And I think for, you know, for anybody that's listening to the podcast who is in a corporate nine to five or is doing something within their career right now, that it, it may be fulfilling on some level or it may not be fulfilling at all. And knowing that actually you might be making really positive impact to people, but actually is it in relation to your soul's calling? Is that what you're yes. supposed to be doing in the longer term? Because that's different and we can fall back. And I did it for the longest time. I'm moving from mm-hmm job the job trying to find where I fitted in where actually the place I fitted in was doing the thing that I was supposed to do not trying to fit into somebody else's corporate world or do the job for other people so anybody that's listening to that just know that listen to those whispers of the heart or in your ears or wherever you hear those whispers and know that there's another way or there's another path available Mm -hmm. and for me even it was I would have conflicts with Uh my boss or with the general overall mission of the department or the school. And wow, Johns Hopkins and University of Virginia, those are amazing institutions, especially their schools of medicine, cancer center. They do amazing work. I cannot at all disparage anything. They do amazing work. They're just a big institution and they're not my work. (laughs) And so there's, when I realize I'm having conflicts here, that's part of it was like, hello, wake up. It's sometimes the whispers are not, sometimes the whispers are yelling. (laughs) I think the longer you leave it, they get louder (laughs) from my experience. (laughs) And I remember telling you early on that your story of being a serial quitter Uh was very inspiring to me because I'm 55 and women at my age are still a generation where we were taught longevity in a job Mm -hmm. is golden and you have to prove you have sticking power. And I'm like, why? I don't want sticking power. I want to do this other thing. And we're also taught too, that it's not okay to want what we want. And I'm not sure why we're taught that or where we, sometimes it's not even, and this is another piece of the whisper thing is I've had to realize that many of the things I believed in a spouse were not specifically taught to me. Mm-hmm. They were maybe said to me early on or yeah. insinuated But I somehow embraced those and I had to take the responsibility to take them off. I had to take the responsibility to name them and say, I'm not this anymore. I don't espouse to this patriarchal view. I don't espouse to this conservative political view. I don't espouse to this racial view. I had to say those things Mm -hmm. and take them, literally take them off. It just, there were times it felt like ripping (laughs) because they're so ingrained in us. But when we're willing to do that, it means that we have the ability to grow further because those things were holding us down. Those yeah. things were making us smaller and being able to listen to those whispers or the yelling or whatever it is and just take responsibility. And it's them. so liberating when you can, yeah. when you realize actually you've got the range, you can do this. You don't need to be told when to do it. You can take back control. Okay, so that's all for today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any aha moments, tag me in your social media stories and please, please, please leave me a review on iTunes. It'll really help me out. Until next time, remember to visualize you.